1: Welcome to the Baseball America podcast. Baseball America, bringing you baseball news you can't get anywhere else for more than 35 years. Now it's time to talk baseball. Hey, welcome to another Baseball America podcast, everybody. I'm John Manuel, along with J.J. Cooper. Thank you, Dave Slade, for the intro. Reminder, this is a great time of year to subscribe to Baseball America. Uh, It's getting to be prospect season. The minor league season is winding down. We'll have league top 20 prospect lists that we're all working on. That's basically, you know, the prospect list that everyone else bases their prospect lists off. You know, there's a lot of other prospect lists. They don't start until our league top 20s start coming out. Then draft report cards. Organization top 10s will be coming out in the fall in the magazine. And, of course, the top 30s in the prospect handbook. So a great time to subscribe at BaseballAmerica.com store or calling 800-845-2726. JJ, a big week in the minor leagues. This is a story that we've been working on basically for six years off and on of the realignment of the minor leagues and, and we've happened. done these and it actually happened we've done these stories over the years many times with bigger picture smaller picture uh this time we're going to go a little 30,000 foot look at what happened in high class a uh get a little nerdy on minor league realignment we'll bring kyle glazer in later 30,000 or is this is more like
0: at the 4,000 5,000 foot level this is the well, visual flight rules level oh,
1: well i guess you, you you're the aeronautics expert not me but uh I just I want to give a little bit of an overview of why okay. on earth two teams are leaving the California League to go to the Carolina League. And we'll start it off with this. There aren't enough minor league franchises in the western part of the United States as it is. The low class A teams are all on the east coast and the midwest. There's no low class A. What's the furthest west? It's got to be somewhere in the midwest league, right? Yep. Um, high class A. You had the Cal League, but now it's going from ten teams to eight. Double A, no Double A in the West. Triple A, there is Triple A in the West. But right now, you reduce so this imbalance continues. I know there are more Major League affiliates in the East, but you do have these two, you know these ten teams that are in what are called West divisions, and I understand two of those teams are in Texas. So they but, okay. but you have fourteen teams that train in Arizona. Mm-hmm. There would seem to be demand to have at least ten teams in the Cal League. Maybe to shift some more, you know, t- there's demand for at least a double A league that's somewhat west. Why did this happen in your? I mean, is this a good? I guess so I, my, my real question is do you see this as a good or bad thing that Bakersfield and High Desert are shutting down in 2016? And then in 2017, we'll have two more Carolina League teams. Is it better in your mind for minor league baseball overall to have a 10 team Carolina League versus an 8 team Cali?
0: Yes and i think that that's that i don't want to be sound like i'm dancing on graves or anything like that but the reality of it is is that high desert i feel for the people who work for the high desert Mavericks. i yeah. do once you've gotten past that we've pretty much covered almost everyone for whom the high desert departure is a is a significant it's a blow. is a blow let's just rewind every year every two years we have the affiliation shuffle and every insert two, music here and every two years, when we have the affiliation shuffle, it is a game of musical chairs. And the the end of it ends up being, how do we avoid getting into high desert? Right. It is not a place that teams wanted to put a team.
1: If San Bernardino County, this, this giant fire in San Bernardino County, at the end of the year. Now, it's, my son is uh, mesmerized by this wildfire. And that in one weekend, it went from 4% contained to 65% contained. I mean... Our first responders, firefighters, these kind of things, pretty <laughs> we hear about them all the time. There's there's one where my 11-year-old son was like, what? How'd they do that? But when you saw the flames of that wildfire and the ash dropping over the stadium in Adelanto, you add that as, like, the coda, basically, to the story of this franchise that no one wants to affiliate with. It's always last in musical chairs. I mean, it's just... But and and it's also an extreme government. park where it's a very right. difficult for development. you got all that. And and the, the market itself, you know, at one time was an attractive market 25 years ago when it first started. So you feel for the community that it's just gotten, you know, body blow after body blow. This isn't, this isn't the one that, you know, this isn't the one after the Mike Tyson's punch-outs has knock him out. But I think that they've already had that with the 2008 recession and all the this, – this area had the highest number of homes underwater – Highest percentage of any county in the country. But it's just uh, no one, no major league team wants to be there, basically. So that so you move
0: them. Okay, that's a benefit. I think for Bakersfield, Bakersfield, by all accounts, is a very good market with right. a horrendous ballpark. And the reality of it is, is that, and again, I'm someone who does think that there's often... It's like, no, 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 you need to... The, the, the city needs to pay for the ballpark. The ballpark, the cost of ballparks has gone pretty massive pretty significant inflation over the last 10, 20 years. And you you really do need some sort of local buy-in as this as well, where someone else is actually kicking in some money as well. Right. If Bakersfield's ever going to get that, if Bakersfield's ever going to get the stadium that it needs to do this, to have a, a legit minor league team, again... They need a time where they don't have baseball to decide, do we want baseball? Because maybe, again... I agree completely. And so, from that standpoint, I, I do not think it is sad in any way that they are leaving Sam Lynn Ballpark that is easily... I would say, I was going to say one of the worst in minor, in full-season minor league baseball, but that's probably not
1: being strong enough. You're, it is the worst. You're giving it too much credit. Uh, it is the to worst. To say it. And that, and that... So, I mean... I. I and again, we'll have Kyle on later in this podcast, who's actually been there. Now, you lived in Southern California. You lived close to where High Desert is, mm-hmm. right? I mean, I lived you, in I lived in Redland slash So a long time
0: ago, but yes, that's that is this is San Bernardino County is where I lived. I I now this is an interesting like when you say okay, two teams going from there to the Carolina League, the, the thing that jumps out to me is is that we think of Cali we think of California. You, you said there's not enough teams out west.
1: That's an argument. It's an
0: argument. But the Florida State League and the California League, what's interesting is is that low A, it's low A and high A, but when you talk about markets, when you talk about success of actually drawing fans, there's no comparison. The high A leagues, and especially the Cal League and the Florida State League, the standard, the bar for success in those leagues is so much lower Correct. than what it is in Low A. In Low A, if you draw three thousand fans a night, it's like, okay, you're okay. You're you're not. You're no Dayton. You're no.
1: It depends. Can, it depends on the franchise. Certainly, it really does like The California League and the Carolina League are the only two that try to draw fans, and that's not universal. That they both try. it's that, right. not uniform throughout those but, those leagues. Certainly, Winston Salem. <laughs> right. Tries, but then, Myrtle Beach tries, the Carolina League. I mean, but when you talk about tries,
0: I mean, again, it's a minor thing, but I do think at this point there is a notable thing of this which teams are on MILB TV. Because when you talk about, and as an organ, is like overall, like, okay, do we televise our games? Because if you televise your games, getting them on MILB it's LB, an investment. TV is, is pretty easy to yeah, do at that point. That's right. Okay, you look. The Carolina League, all over the place. Winston, you know, Winston Salem, Myrtle Beach, we could keep going on these. Florida State League, zero. Right, there's not one. It's a black Cal hole, League, San Jose.
1: That's the only one. I was so, just going to ask you. So that.
0: from that standpoint, you know, the Cal League. I didn't realize that in the Cal League, trying in the Cal League means that you're trying to get to 2,500 fans per night. Trying in the Carolina League means that you start at 3,000 fans per See,
1: night. Yeah, I think that I think that depends on the Cal League franchise. I know that the attendance out there isn't. Flabbergasting by these, but we did Only just one think, team grew 3,000 last year, which was Jose, Lake Elsinore. Jose, and that was like, Lake Elsinore, was our minor league organization of the year, or Sam Oster at least was our minor league executive of the year, and he was running Lake Elsinore at the time. Lake Elsinore, I think, is a model out there in that that's the model everyone should it follow. It's My an Lake. edge city, basically. It's a suburb of a suburb. Um, you know, it, it, that's one thing that the community, you know, actually has as its own in Lake Elsinore as opposed to oh, we had to drive into L.A. or San Diego. It's kind of, let's say it's equidistant, it's closer to San Diego, but it's its a Southern California location like that. That's the, and and you have other things to do, and many people think they have better things to do than go to a minor league baseball game. So for California, that's why Bakersfield is kind of a tragedy here, J.J., in that it's a city of 300,000 people. It's inland, it's part of, I, I, I forgive my geography, but it's a it's in the, what I know Bakersfield for is country music. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's what I know it's, that's what I know it's for. Isn't that, uh, Dwight Yoakum, Buck Owens, yeah, no, Bakersfield so. sound? Um, so that's what I know Bakersfield for. I didn't know it was 300,000 people. I know it's south of Fresno, but I know it's inland like that. So minor league baseball would seem to be, that would seem to be the community where minor league baseball would work really well in California. I think the market is perfect for the California league. It's one of the larger markets in the California league. But what it's lacking is, and I think this—I I think you put this well off the air, I don't think you've said it yet here, is this will be a shock to the system for Bakersfield if they really do want minor league baseball.
0: And maybe they do, maybe they don't. But right. it's something have, where you have to go away before you could ever decide you want it. Because they have minor league 740
1: hockey. fans per night yeah. last
0: year, right now Brutal. in the old ballpark, there is no – I mean, this is not you something mean, where you have this core – of you have three thousand fans per night that are going to be without this. This you is mean?
1: You mean the ballpark that where they have to delay the game at times because of uh, because of the sun? Yes. Yeah. Bakersfield's averaging eight hundred fifty eight fans a game this year, which is less than High Desert. By High Desert, barely over a thousand. JJ, those really are Florida State League numbers but again. The best team, the best team. There's no team
0: in the Cal League right now drawing 3,000 fans per night, and it does not get better at the end of August. Generally, that's not when you get a giant boost. Right no
1: they're gonna. No one's gonna average. 3, no 000. one's
0: 3,000. You put the best teams in the California League in the Carolina League, and they go to the bottom of the scale. In the Carolina League, most everyone in the Carolina League draws more than 3,000 fans per night. So three... well, it really does
1: sound like a bigger story here. Long term is going to be the viability of minor league baseball. In California, and it's a, it is a tough I mean, again. A lot of this my of the cost point, is yeah.
0: a lot of my starting point for this was is that going back to when I first arrived here was the question of why does indie ball struggle in California? Because
1: I thought I that's where I thought you were going. I thought you were going to go to the Georgia story we made right. do.
0: Well, yes, that that's also. I mean that, for that those are that's even more formative for me. Like you know yeah. how the Sally League basically moved out of Georgia because these markets were no longer really Sally yeah. League markets in many ways. But in California, you you would logically indie ball. You have you would seem to have all these markets that make sense for indie ball from the standpoint of you have you have four major league teams (laughs) located five sorry five five major league teams in the state. So that means that there are areas where you go okay. You can't put an affiliated minor league team there without approval, but we can put an indie ball team there. And the reality of it is, is that you have the Western League, you have the Golden League. Now, you know, then you have the Northern American Association. Then you have, now you have the Pacific Association. But the reality of it is, is that what it always has come back to, one of the things is, is it is difficult to get fans to come out to games because it's California. The weather's right. always great. There's always a thousand things to do. And the other is, is that not just your costs, your workers' comp is right. Higher. right. There's a lot of costs that are higher. So if you're drawing less fans... And your costs are higher, because a lot of these costs are fixed costs. Right? Right. You're going to have the same number of employees in the Cal League for a franchise as the Carolina and League, but the Carolina, Carolina League costs are less. And
1: they actually have labor laws there. Right. And you <laughs> draw
0: more fans in the Carolina League. Well, from a business standpoint, it does seem kind of weird that essentially a Carolina League, which is not all North Carolina, but there's a large portion of it now is going to be North Carolina. Certainly. Compared to it's gonna have, you know, basically the Carolinas North Carolina is gonna have almost as many teams as California minor league teams. That's crazy, but it does make sense.
1: Well, the, well, North, yeah, so first of the Carolina League will now be adding two North Carolina teams, so it'll we someone, So I mean, someone's gonna get bumped to the Cal Carolina League North, most likely Salem. Right now your Carolina League South is Myrtle Beach, Salem, Winston, and Carolina, whereas the North is Lynchburg, Potomac, Frederick, and Wilmington. So there are only two teams in the state of North Carolina, currently in the Carolina League. Now and, in fact, 34. and in fact, there are three in the Carolinas. Right. So that's kind of funny. Um, now there'll be five with Kinston and Fayetteville joining. Mm-hmm. So at least, so half of the Carolina League will actually be in the Carolinas. So it'll be a little bit more of a accurate name for the league. Uh, a league that's changed over the years significantly with its, um, you know, the, the membership in that league. This is a league where you've also, again, it's not all sunshine and rainbows in this league either. This is where the Braves, came in and tried to buy Lynchburg and take that franchise over after they tried to go to Wilmington and start a franchise there, and the Wilmington City Council said no. So the Carolina League hasn't been uh, an easy place to build a ballpark either. Fayetteville is an interesting test case if it does go through for the Carolina League because we were just there for Fort Bragg game, Mm -hmm. and we asked about this kind of stuff, and it did seem like the Fort Bragg game was lending momentum to... A movement that, that now Jim Crane had already visited, and Jeff Luno, both of the owner and GM of the Asteroids, had both already done a site visit. But that Fort Bragg game was kind of part of the momentum of baseball to Fayetteville. The city had a franchise from 87 to 2001 in the Sally League, failed miserably with Lakewood, New Jersey. Then it had a Coastal Plain League team that done fairly well there. I've asked the Coastal Plain League for attendance figures for the Fayetteville team, I haven't gotten them sent to me yet. We'll, we'll see what happens. Um, they, I talked to their general manager yesterday, uh, Jeremy Agard, who's been there for a decade. Um, you know, Fayetteville, having grown up there, JJ, this is, they're going to put in more than $30 million of the city's money for a ballpark downtown. And there's no local owner, it's the Astros who own the team. They're signing a 30-year lease, I think it is. Right. Now, this
0: is – we should make – this. they have a memorandum of agreement right now. But there it's still not there are, yet. They're, they're, There are pieces of this. This is unlike Kinston.
1: The Rangers are a done deal to Kinston.
0: They, hey, they have a ballpark there. They are. We're, want, we will be in Kinston.
1: As soon as this news was made official yesterday by the Cal League, the MILB store tweeted out a picture of the state of North Carolina with a Rangers logo where Kinston is, and it said – Baseball's back in Kinston I mean they were red to go you know they've had this agreement with the Rangers in Kinston for what a year and a half basically and, it's just been like
0: like like it, like, like I, I again I'm, I'm trying I'm not trying to pick on high desert but if you're the Rangers it's like okay one less day till you know, yeah
1: I know oh, they're they're like uh the they're like uh, Mark Watney's character in the Martian they're just counting down yeah. the days till you come to get me and that's yeah. how they felt really you're out in the high desert you're like out on Mars on your own I mean that's how and that's why this happened. The bottom line is there are 30 major league teams that need high class A affiliates. They would rather be anywhere but high desert. And Bakersfield Stadium is so below the standards. The two stories I always tell about Bakersfield are, A, the setting sun, and you have that problem that's oriented the wrong way. Uh, but the, but B, or two, whichever one I started off with, was when Ken Griffey Sr. was managing there. Do you remember where they had the, the press release with their game? Got canceled because it had such high winds that it was whipping the gravel from the parking lot into the stadium, <laughs> and it was hitting the players. Delay postponed, I'm, blowing rocks. Postponed by <laughs> blowing rocks. I mean, by the way, that is my but, all-time favorite minor league see, story the, the other, from the absurd.
0: The other one that I've always remembered with there is is that I've heard multiple people, and this was a couple of years ago. I'm not saying from this past year, but multiple. People in the game say that the Bakersfield infield oh, yeah. was basically an obstacle course, and that's of no light.
1: offense to the t- uh, that's no offense to the grounds crew or those kind of guys. I mean, it's what you're working with, right? You, you're too start- dry,
0: right? Your starting point there again. Th- this is a ballpark that was built in a time where what how a ballpark was built is very different than today. Right? You're not talking about the same situations, the same starting point as you have today. Again, and that's not just- a knock on that, but the reality of it is is that. That's another reason that teams didn't want to be in Bakersfield. Yeah, and when Again, you're in a
1: field in 1940, a stadium that was built in 1941, and that had these obvious issues, you're not going no to be able to – no major league team is going to go in there and say, let's invest some money and fix this place up. Everybody wants a new park. And and, and, they're,
0: and, they're, and every team that's in there is like, okay, well, we,
1: we may only be here two years. Why would right. We? So, lo, the, so the, the lack of a new stadium, and I know there are obstacles. Kyle explained it excuse me, well in the story online. About the redevelopment uh bill that was uh, passed in California that basically prohibits public money for a uh, private use for a private ballpark. I forget what kind of. There, there's some. It was a significant obstacle. Forgive me for not remembering right. the exact detail right now, but it put significant obstacles in the path of a California city like Bakersfield doing what Fayetteville City Council just did, or what they did in Texas, right. or what they did in Atlanta, because
0: they they're because. I would be interested in Fayetteville. Not 100% done. You're the right. The thing I'll be interested to see is is that is this going to happen? Cuz to me, like what this, happened in, in, in and in This down, is the obstacle. This is the obstacle to me that but it's an obstacle that should be there. Yes. In that okay, what happened in Wilmington? Braves had it all lined up and the people of Wilmington said, "You know what?
1: We really don't want to pay." And if that had happened in Cobb County, Georgia, if the people had a shot Right. They would have not and allowed it to happen for the Braves, Braves New Park. And then the Braves, and then all those dudes on the Cobb County board that approved that secret deal for the Braves New Park were all voted out. So But I mean again, I, I, on the flip side of this, going way
0: back, speaking Braves, I was in Macon, Georgia. Macon lost their team to Rome. But you know what Rome did? They had a referendum on it and they voted for the referendum. Hey, if the if right. the people vote to bring a team in and they're willing to do the pay. Correct. That's, then you've given them an opportunity. But. And
1: Fayetteville recently had a bond issue for uh, libraries and roads, and I forget what else was on there. Again, my parents still mm. live there, so I actually read the Fayetteville paper as a matter of course. And that newspaper was just local, recently bought. It was one of the largest locally owned newspapers in the country that was left. So the point, and I, I bring that in because right now, JJ, all the financial burden in Fayetteville, if that deal goes through, is on the taxpayers and the people of Fayetteville as opposed to the city government there, as opposed to there's not a local point person. And right. that's that's what has to happen, in my mind, for that to be successful. It doesn't have to be someone from Fayetteville. It should be someone from North Carolina who has a vested interest and in it. it can be the face of the franchise but, there, so it's not all the assets. Well when you
0: say it doesn't have to be from Fayetteville, it does make a, a big difference. It because, would certainly,
1: yes. Because,
0: again, what you are talking about, this is we've talked about this on another podcast, which is, is that, What we're talking about right here, you could say in some ways, because there's been talk of expansion, long-term expansion and all that, and we've said one of the hurdles, I can't imagine Major League Baseball saying we've got everything lined up with our Major League City, but the one thing we can't, we're not going to expand because we can't get the minor league teams we want.
1: Right. But
0: that being said. It's
1: still a piece of the puzzle.
0: It is a piece of the puzzle, and this is an issue for this because the reality of it is, is that you do look at this right now and say, Okay, you could argue well then now there's two you can make two, put two teams back in California but as you just spelled out, that's not going to be easy. Not going to be easy and, and, where, and now the, the, when you said where are the markets for minor league teams, Kinston's been one of the ones out there from the standpoint of you actually have a ballpark that at least that meets because again Bakersfield the thing that's happened also in Bakersfield is is that there is the professional baseball agreement. there is the standards that you have to reach. This goes back to the basically the early nineties where they said, you know what? We're tired of it being that you, the players are not going to no longer have clubhouses where basically you've got a rusty nail on the wall (laughs) and that is your locker. We're going to go, we're, (laughs) we're going to have, we're going to have square foot requirements and all that and all these things and Bakersfield. Gonna have light. The lights have to be of a certain quality. And that was in all 1990.
1: The PBEO. Oh, that's when the standards really and took that's it why up a you notch. saw the building boom in mm-hmm. the 90s and all that. And
0: now, you know, but Bakersfield's never met those. Right. It's been something where they keep getting waivers. That's been part of the whole thing that goes back to this. Why this has been going on for literally longer for,
1: than the time we talked about. For really for 25 years, basically since that building
0: boom started. Is the point of it is is at some point there's almost this okay. You know what? We have to move on. Kinston is not a new park. Kinston's right. not anywhere close to a new park. But, but it was redone. But it was redone. And so while it still has a lot of the old school type feel, it does have a modern clubhouses. You right. know, right? right. I mean they're they're nice. I have been there. They're they're you nice. Know. And so It's a perfectly cromulent ballpark. It's right fine. Now. You, you you go there and you're not saying we are in a palace by any stretch, but you go there and you say Okay, this works, and that's really we got to the point where this works is the
1: standard that we were trying <laughs> that these teams were trying to achieve. And and the and again, by no stretch of the imagination does Bakersfield work anymore. So that's that's really part of the problem. JJ, are there other parts of minor league realignment you would like to see? I mean, I, the point I brought up earlier, when you really do think about it, there are eight teams that are. On the, in, in the West Coast, in the, in the Pacific or mountain time zones. So when you really think about it that way, they're really probably in the major leagues, there should probably only be, it makes more sense for the Cow League to be eight teams than 10 in a way. I mean, really, to well, get the 10, you have the two Texas teams.
0: See, see, I will say, I do think that generally minor league baseball in the West does not work nearly as well. And it's not just, not only because of, uh, AAA baseball, fine. Yeah. But the travel, the other thing that gets lost in this is is that when you talk about the Pioneer League or the Northwest League, to get to your next game, (laughs) distances are a lot further out west. That was one of my favorite parts of
1: of, uh, Pedro Martinez's book was him watching the scenery go by the bus and the uh, Pioneer League and just how he had a lot of time on bus rides in the Pioneer League to learn English. To try to read, to take in the scenery, but, that kind of thing.
0: But to take the differences is that, okay, if you're going to put more teams out west, it's not just California, logically. Right. And once you start doing that, these are but below AAA, these are bus leagues. Yeah. When you're talking about a bus league, going around the Carolina League is vastly, going around the Florida State League is the Cal League as it's constructed now, as long as you kind of you stay south, you stay north, is okay, even though although traffic's still significantly worse. That's
1: a, that's an issue, too. But I it agree. is something
0: where you can't put more teams out west. You can't say, hey, we're going to put a couple teams up in, in Washington State and a couple in Oregon. You start doing that, and all of a sudden it's like, okay, well, you know. And again, not that there's not bad trips in the South League and the Midwest League, because there are, but you have less of them. It's something where this is our brutal trip where we go up north to Lakewood, okay, in the right. South League. But you don't do that very often. Normally, you're going to be in a in a range where you can get in before the sun rises.
1: And, and the the conversely, North Carolina does seem to. I know I'm biased. <laughs> it does seem to have become like this minor league hub. JJ, if that other Carolina League team does go to Fayetteville, if that all mm-hmm. if all those I's are dotted and those t's are crossed, that will give this state eleven minor league franchises over several leagues, but this was in no particular order. But Carolina, Mudcats, Zebulon, Winston-Salem, Greensboro, Asheville, Burlington, North Carolina, which is rookie league, Appalachian, rookie-level Appalachian League, Kannapolis, Charlotte, Durham, Hickory, Kinston, Fayetteville. That's 11. I know there have been rumblings in the Appy League in the past for a team to go to Boone from, like, Eastern and Tennessee and like to be right in that Appy League footprint, share the ballpark with Appalachian State. I don't know that that's going to happen. There have been those rumblings, um, and, then, and, then, and, then you, and then you have all. Wilmington those,
0: does not have a team. Which Wilmington, Wilmington doesn't
1: exactly should have. or well not should could have a team. Has had a team in the past, although it was itinerant. The Port City Roosters were the last team there in the mid nineties. And you have all these coastal play league teams, both with these edge cities like Holly Springs here, um, and these old markets that are like making, like you talked about. Teams that used to be in the South Atlantic League or the Appy League, uh, that's just art. <laughs> teams that used to be in the league like Gastonia, um, that's in that league. I believe Shelby's in that league, or I guess that's Forest City. Um, old time ball Rocky Mount, Wilson. Right. These places that used to have minor league baseball Back but now have summer college D. baseball. Exactly. Yeah. So it's really amazing uh how I can't think of this. is there another state that has more than eleven that has more than ten minor league teams. Instead of New York, I get oh Florida, which they don't, where they don't try to right, draw. Right, but Florida. Fans. I
0: mean, Florida. If you are that's the one because Florida has the entire GCL and the Florida State League. I wasn't even and, thinking of the GCL and Double A.
1: I guess I should have thought about the GCL, but yeah, Florida is what's in, the oh Pensacola,
0: Pensacola and uh, Jacksonville.
1: Oh yeah, I forgot about Jacksonville.
0: So you are talking like when you but but again, damn you, Florida. <laughs> um, but but really, it, it is like when you say of this. It is sad, I, I've been through. I was the Macon Braves beat writer. JJ's been through it. And, you know, watched the team leave for another city and you, again, like and you all talk about like I I the community there, the the, the diehard fans, like there was a, a pain understandably for those fans. If you got this team, you were a Braves fan and you had your local team was the Braves Low a Affiliate. You'd seen Chipper Jones so and what, Andrew Jones. What year
1: did they move? Ninety nine two thousand one. Oh, okay. Um, was Randy Engel the manager? I, well, at some at point, some, yes,
0: yes, and then yes again. I mean, I, you know, but I got to his. I was actually. I I was actually. I should say, I had come back to Macon. I was no longer the beat writer. I Still covered some games, but I was assistant sports at the time. Yep. But um, but that's it's it can, for those fans. It's understandably and for the you know in that case the uh, the front office all went. So for, it was really for the fans that was gutting. I understand completely. If you're a Bakersfield fan who you've gone to games for 20, 30, 40 years, or if you are one of those diehard fused you know, in High Desert who like this you remember the ballpark getting there and it's like, right. like, hey, we've had we've had minor league baseball. It's it it's awful. It it is it hurts. It does. But at the same time, I I do think that these two moves are the the best way to put them is is okay. So these were extremely expected. And almost, you could ask the question, what? because this almost happened, this came very close to happening about four years ago, hmm. where you really, I mean, it came down to this like, no, Cal League doesn't want to just right. give up the two. And essentially, at the time, there was not enough impetus to say, no, you're going to give
1: up. And you changed owners, I mean, uh, league presidents at that time as well. You went from Joe Gallardi retired to Charlie Blaney, former Dodgers farm director, became the league president. I have to be honest with you, I don't know, even after 20 years at BA, I don't quite know what a league president does. Um, I don't know how much influence league presidents have on those kind of things. I know that for years and years, the low A league presidents were John Henry Moss in the South Atlantic League, like and president you for, for life. years
0: and years, when John Henry case, you mean literally and decades, moment, decades and decades.
1: Decades and decades, moment of silence for John Henry Moss. Yeah. He was... Moment of silence. I'm sorry. John Henry Moss is like the ultimate league president. That guy was a stud. And George Spelius was no spring chicken in the Midwest League. And those two guys, so my point is, those weren't like youthful, vibrant leaders of these leagues. They were steady hands. They did what the owners wanted to do. They let, helped lead those leagues. And those leagues both grew, like you said, JJ, where those, those markets draw fans. And but, those markets are good. Those are good leagues. I'm just saying. I, like, but I do
0: think that if you're the if you're, I'll say right now, if you're the Cal League president compared to the Carolina League president, you've been dealt a bad hand because again, when you say like, yeah, you can grow markets and all, but the reality of it is, is the starting point of that is, is that in most all of these cases, it's basically in California. And again, I'm not knocking them. Yeah. But in California, we have gotten away from the idea of Hey, we're gonna build this new ballpark and then just hand it to the team. I mean, that oh, that, definitely. The High Desert. I mean, people. It's easy to forget. High Desert was basically the city tried to kick them out. Oh yeah. This no, year,
1: I, I didn't forget. No, <laughs> no. But
0: say we had talked about it on here. If you're listening, you may not remember. The city tried to kick them out. They said, you know what? We're we're not really a big fan of this this basically completely bargain rate lease. We want right. to make money. Off of you renting the stadium. Right. And to which the High Desert ownership understandably looks at it and goes, We're not like we're not rolling we, we don't have secret stashes of money yeah. you know hidden back here. So you had this impasse, but you have I mean the reality of it is is that it's under do you think
1: that was, think that was brought about by some philosophical belief by the city of High Desert that we shouldn't be subsidizing this ballpark anymore, or we've gotta find some cash somewhere. I think it was the latter. I think it's yes. I think both. But, I really don't think it but, was the former. I don't I, think it was some kind of. I don't. I didn't sense from the stories I've read that it was some kind of ideological. No, bent. I think the
0: big thing is is that this is it. But this is what you're having in in a multiple cities in California where it's like well, the Oakland.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I mean, in the major league cities in Oakland. You, I mean, in in California, you have this issue. Th- that said, we just were at California is interesting. It gives you a couple of examples. There are two new ballparks. In California's major leagues. There's the, the Giants, whatever corporate name it is now. What is it? AT&T Park, uh, right? whose track has changed. So and then Petco in San Diego, where we just both were. I've been to both. We were just at Petco for the Futures game. And I, I spent my honeymoon one day at, uh, I, uh, I guess at that time it was Pac Bell. Um, it's been, the it's Giants. Been three I mean, like, yeah, that's that been
0: changed so many times that I literally cannot keep track. But
1: so that was private money. Mm-hmm. You know, the the there was all this talk with the Giants first. We did like, man, their debts are really going to be over their heads for a long time. And they had uh college football games in that ballpark to help retire the debt, and these XFL games in that in that ballpark. And there was all the talk about San Diego, where they won't build a new one for the football team, and they might lose their football team. And there's all this public money wrangling in Los Angeles over a football stadium, a what two billion dollar football stadium. I, I, yeah, I... But where the where they've built it. It's worked. It saved baseball in San Diego. And as we saw, Peco Park is a vibrant part of downtown San mm-hmm. Diego. And I, I, certainly, let's be honest.
0: Well, a lot of times when they talk about these economic impacts of these right. stadiums, they lie. Absolutely they right. Lie. They, I, I, lie may be strong. No, they, they take, do lie. They take numbers that we have We saw with the Orleans, they lie. They, they straight up lie.
1: Right. There
0: is The reality of this is that there are every ballpark ever built is supposed to be basically something that revitalizes a neighborhood.
1: Right. And, and, and in most cases they don't, but there are times. Right. When it, when it's done correctly, where the ownership is actually committed and it's some kind of private public partnership, it does work. And it happens in the minor leagues. And we're exactly, we are front and center where we've seen it work in Durham now. and, And the reason it worked was because Jim Goodman at Capital Broadcasting uh, which owns the Durham Bulls basically shoved downtown Durham redevelopment down Durham's own throat in some ways. He got a lot of free buildings and not free buildings. He got a lot of deals on a lot of old buildings that were nothing being used for nothing at the but time. But he did he, he did something that you're supposed to do in capitalism, which is he took a little bit of a risk, and he's getting the rewards from it. And so is the city of Durham and. He was the first one and now the rest of the city. Downtown suit. Durham
0: basically after it, it took a while.
1: After BA moved out <laughs> downtown right. well, no, from, we, in 2008. We, our, our
0: moving out was part of the gentrification.
1: <laughs> it's like all of us is like, I'm sorry, you you can't stay down here anymore. Now we're gonna charge double the rent of what you pay. I gotta but, say, I really miss watching the players walk down the street to the from the hotel to the DBAP. I miss that.
0: But downtown Durham is obviously an example where it worked very well. Right. San Diego is an example where it's worked very well. And San Francisco, the
1: again, they got I know they I know there were deals there. I don't know all the details. I understand it. But Peter McGowan and those guys who owned the Giants took some risk. They took on a lot of debt and they made that happen. And it's been the best period of Giants history. It's not even close. So But you and again
0: then, for every one of those, we could sit Oakland. there and go, you've got Oakland. <laughs> I mean which is obviously well part. Turner Field, they're getting ready to leave Turner Field. Turner Field was built; the Olympic Stadium was built that there because quote, this is going to revitalize the neighborhood. And then they're leaving. And why are they leaving? Well, you know, for one, again, which they put there's no it's public a, trans yeah. You have to you you ride a train to in get Atlanta to a bus. to get to a bus to get to the it. Which by the way, which still is not going to be a superior situation to how it's going to be in the new ballpark where you just you just sit in traffic is basically again. I, as someone who lived in Atlanta, you I'm know, stunned.
1: So, I'm really stunned by what they're doing there. I'm I'm stunned by it. I'm sure they have a plan for how to work, but the ones that I've read doesn't seem like it's. But, but doesn't the, seem like a 21st century solution. But the point is, is like in, again, this is different. But St. Louis with the football stadium, yeah. you know, and now they're. So I do like seeing cities, major league cities, stand up to being extorted for hundreds of millions of dollars by major league teams. That's the overstating it, but that is the generalities of what happens and in some of these situations. In baseball,
0: though, what's happened is, is that what you, what's changed in the last 20 years is, is that there's not the leverage. Like, right. The reason is, is why does Oakland still play in a ballpark where sewage randomly you know runs through the clubhouses? <laughs> well, it's because there is no viable threat right now. There is no... If you don't fix this, we're gonna what? You're gonna do what? Exactly. We want to go to San Jose. You won't let us. Exactly. And it's like, where else are we gonna go? Because because before you say that you're gonna move us somewhere, if that was the case, Tampa would try to get you know trying to get out you know St Pete Tampa we try to get out of their lease because yeah. of their situation. There's not that market out there, which was what Tampa the St Pete Tampa area was for so long it was right. like. You get your new ballpark, because we're going to move to there if you and don't.
1: They just can't get out of their lease. That's an ironclad lease, it would appear, in St. Pete, which is fine. You know, that's that, those pesky rules, JJ. <laughs> you know, Pesky laws, contracts, these kind of things. For me, Oakland, I don't know what the proper solution is there. The, the um, solution,
0: San Jose, but the reality of it is, is again, quite clearly that cannot happen. right. Because I do not see, I have no idea what would happen now in 2016 where we go, oh, this same issue that's been the issue that's kept this from happening for the last decade wouldn't, would wouldn't change. The,
1: wouldn't a big part of it be that they're trying to get a lot of public money for this ballpark and Oakland city leaders are wisely, I think, saying, didn't San Francisco do it with a lot less public money and why can't you do the same thing? I mean, that's what, the, the, that's the, kind of the but general action to the starting But the
0: starting point is, is they... The reality of it is, is that, and this is where the the poker game is. If you're the A's, you don't want to be in Oakland. You want to be in San Jose,
1: right? Or at least Danville. You want to be closer to where be, the money is.
0: You want to be. You want to basically. And understandably, if you're the Giants, you do not want them there. I mean, if you think of this like you're playing a game of Risk, you don't want them closer to the, you know, to the power center of money (laughs) than you. You want to be the direct, you know, the closest. You
1: want to be Ukraine. You you don't want to be Urkotsk.
0: So you know. So this is something where, again, we have baseball's problems right now are really insignificant in many ways compared to the problems of twenty years ago.
1: Yes. But they're
0: but they're more intractable than the problems of twenty years ago. They're
1: before. harder. They're harder to overcome. Those two basically every ballpark issue that teams really had that have like really difficult ballpark issues have been for the most part solved with the exceptions of Oakland and the, and the the Rays. Um and like you said part of it is there's just not much leverage left. St. Pete the, the Rays have no leverage. They can't get out of their lease the, are they going to become the Montreal Athletics? Really, I don't think that's going to happen. So well,
0: again, but Montreal, try getting a try getting a ballpark built with public funding in Montreal. Like when right. we talk about Montreal as a market, again, the way that that happens, it's like the
1: Bakersfield of Major League Base- Baseball, way, good the, market, tough place to build.
0: The way that that happens is is you have to have some sort of local ownership where the local ownership is kicking in a right. significant amount of money as well, and again, that's. That's a, a giant hurdle. And that's- I, do think,
1: I do think part of the solution in California is the amazing thing to me, <clears throat> the last, I guess, a way to wrap up on the Cal League is I thought the improvement of California's economy <clears throat> would allow them to save these two teams. Six years ago, coming out of that recession, when California had so many uh, houses underwater, mm-hmm. home foreclosures, those kind of things, I do think another part that I guess that hurt High Desert was then they weren't there some base closures out there as well military yeah. base closures. My, my dad
0: I was <coughs> in right. Redlands because of Norton Air Force Base which does not exist anymore. Which is
1: as we were looking at yesterday. This is why Fayetteville's market is so much bigger than it used to be because but, Fort Bragg has grown, but it's not that doesn't make again, it a great
0: market. That, that again, and this is
1: I, I hate to agree with it,
0: but I, I do think that this is why I'll be interested to see with Fayetteville because the problem with Fayetteville that I do foresee you're just hating on my
1: hometown, yeah. but
0: military. Military base-driven cities yes. are very difficult to meet baseball markets in general. Because Which is
1: more difficult, beach town or military market town? Yes. Yeah, exactly. I mean,
0: I, I, think I, I would say actually in some ways military base town because I do think like Myrtle Beach is showing like here's ways you can do beach town. Right. Because beach town, you do have this, it's hard to get them away from the beach to come in, but you do have this steady flow of, you know, but the problem you have in a base town is that this is what you're talking about. It's hard to find a local owner. It's hard to find base towns. Usually, when you say what's the economy driven by, well, it's driven by the base. Right. The base. If you're the army, you have no reason for it to be U.S. Army. You know, at Fort yeah. Bragg Field, you don't Just have. Couldn't... You don't. You don't need to be the stadium sponsor. You don't need to be. You don't have necessarily that same. Base of advertising, the, right. the the groups and all that. You're
1: gonna get some. You're gonna have like unless the U S Army is gonna put its name on uh, the on the stadium or corporate signage like we had at the Fort Bragg game, where all the signs in the outfield were all the different patches the Airborne right. guys wear. Um, that that's the corporate presence in in Fayetteville. It's the U S Army. It's <laughs> the Department of Defense. As the number one employer in that area. So, and, and
0: let's be, again, Kinston, you, now you, what you do have in Kinston, what you've had in the
1: past at least, and is that you've had a local owner. You've had a local owner, which is a local owner who held out and told the Coastal Play League, the Summer College League, yes, I know your business model is old minor league stadiums, and then you take them over. We're holding out for professional baseball. And, and that's how and, when he, and, you he, and he held what? out for five years. So he, so you a committed owner. So well, kudos well, to him. By the way, who said when they
0: left, said, my hope is, is that we will have, you know, basically minor league baseball back in Kinston again. And right. It's going to happen.
1: And then you have had this little rebirth in Kinston of what's it called? The farm and table. Chef and the farmer. Chef and the farmer. Uh, the, the, the restaurant. You have Mother Earth Brewing. You have several, like, there's been a, I wouldn't say it's a renaissance. But it has been a little bit of a rebirth of this town where, um, which is, has had its own economic issues over the years and is again going to be one of the smallest, about the smallest market success in minor in league Kinston. baseball for a
0: full season team. Success in Kinston, again, you have to have, there are sliding scales of this. Success in Kinston is not drawing 4,000 fans per night.
1: Right. No, success in Kinston will be drawing Cal League levels, 15 mm-hmm. to 2,000 fans a night. And but if, if, you're it, the, if, it, if you're the, if you're the Texas Rangers, and your low class A team is in Hickory, and your high class A team is now in Kinston, you're happy. That's what you're looking for. You're not in an extreme ballpark in high desert, and you have, I I would imagine, that the Rangers and Kinston are going to have some kind of agreement for the rest of it. I would use the word facilities, but the the hitting tunnels or the hitting cages and the player development part that goes along with the ballpark in the 21st century. JJ, I'm going to. Let's wrap up with, uh, you have two options. One, do you want to talk, speaking of Bakersfield, do you want to talk Mariners, Farm System, and Lack of Instructional League and get really nerdy? Or do you want to take some uh, reader questions
0: on Twitter? I want to get nerdy.
1: Let's let's talk a little bit, because Bakersfield does not have talent this year. (laughs) By any stretch of the imagination, do the Bakersfield Blaze have talent? The Mariners Farm System. But they're 68-59, and and that's the worst record. In the Mariners organization, you are organization. talking about the best
0: record in the minor leagues as far as the overall organization standings, which is by a decent amount. And
1: I six hundred winning percentage. That's counting their Dominican summer league team. But six hundred winning percentage. The Phillies are second. The Red Sox are third. I and I do not
0: say this like a lot of times. Again, you say things you just like and I understand people translate like, "Oh, that must be one of your good sources or whatever." I don't know Andy McKay that well. Yeah, who's the either. new farm director of the Mariners? I've talked to him a couple of times. I will say everyone I talk to about Andy McKay says, and again, it's not just him, obviously, but he is kind of the the he's the farm director. Give Jerry Depoto and everyone up above credit as well. But they have instituted a an overarching system that has been incredibly successful this year. Yeah, at a winning games when uh, this. With 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 not much talent. I mean I again Correct. I don't know another way to put it. And B, getting players who really were headed in the wrong direction, headed in the right direction. Tyler O'Neill wasn't I wouldn't say he was headed the wrong direction, but Tyler O'Neill is a significant better prospect today than he was, was when the season began. Did
1: you have confidence at this time last year <clears throat> that Tyler O'Neal right handed hitting, right handed throwing, corner outfielder, with a lot of home runs in the Cali and a, lot, and of a lot of strikeouts and a paucity of walks. Did you have confidence that he would take a step forward in 2016? No. Or did you expect maybe he'd level off even I would expect go regression down. because you're going to go
0: to a much tougher league. And again, DJ Peterson, at this time last year, was wrapping up their first round pick from a couple years ago, was wrapping up a season that could only be described as putrid. I mean, it was, <laughs> I think he would probably describe it that way. He, and the, the worst part of it which I do think that this sends a bad message. DJ Peterson was struggling really bad at A, And yet. And so what did they do? They promoted him to AAA to see if that would help. And again, I'm not saying that that could never work, but it does send a message. If you are on that double-A team with DJ Peterson, and you know, you've been there every day. You see him you, every
1: day. He, you can't be fooled. The players you, you are not know, easily fooled. You look around
0: and you go, okay, wait a second. He did not get promoted. What you just sent the message of is is that he got promoted because he's a first-round pick. That's right. And I'm sitting here, and I'm out hitting him every day, yep. and I'm still here in double-A. Whereas the flip side of this year, when the season began, Alex Jackson, their first-round pick from the next year... They put the rosters up. Here's where you're going to low A, you're going to high, you're going to double A. Where's Alex? Oh, you're going to extended. Right. It was like, nope, you know what? Don't care if you were a top 10 pick. You earn low A. Yep. You haven't earned low A yet. Go back to extended and earn your way to low A. There's a simple, it was an entirely different message, and it is a message that clearly has worked overarching for the organization.
1: I mean, I'll oversimplify it a bit, but having talked to a couple people in the uh, Mariners organization in the last couple of weeks... Uh, the simple word is just accountability. Just didn't exist prior to it. Just wasn't. It wasn't consistently in that organization under the Jack Zorensky regime. I'm not blaming Jack. I'm just saying. And you know, but Jack was the GM, and it just is the what it was. And the buck stops there. And the buck stops with him. And right now, the people in that organization have just seen a sea change, and it really it starts with Jerry Depoto, but it. Coming through the minor leagues through Andy McKay, and um, and also an
0: emphasis up and down. It's like you are going to make contact. There's emphasis strikeouts on, right. are right.
1: Strikeouts are the enemy. And, enemy, and they are no longer tolerable. You're going to be accountable for giving away your bat and striking out Again. without a competitive bat. Right. There are different kinds. As
0: from what I understand, they view it as there are different kinds of strikeouts. Mm-hmm. Okay, two outs, no man on, power hitter up. Two, two count. You take a big rip. You strike out. That's one thing. You go up there and you swing at three sliders outside of the right. zone, and you go down. Oh, you know, you strike out in three pitches. That is not. That is not something where a strikeout's the same as an out. We'll call line. that a
1: Matt Kemp approach. Right. <laughs> so
0: that, the that Matt Kemp approach is no longer acceptable. And the thing about it is, is that when you talk about development, that makes sense because there has been. I mean. This is an organization that has a lot of guys mm-hmm. who have a ten- have had a tendency to say, I-, I don't like when it bends, and I'm going to keep. A- but, you know well, maybe that's a fastball. I'm going to try to swing at it anyway. They've
1: drafted so many of the same kinds of players at the top of the draft. The Austin Wilsons, the Gareth Morgans, the DJ Petersons. The these right, The Alex Jackson, the right-handed hitting corner power bat. They have so many of the same kind of guys who have had similar issues. So it's amazing to me that with this. Again, frankly, paucity of talent. It's a mediocre farm system in terms of talent, I think, at best. That Bakersfield at 535 is the worst winning percentage in the organization. And uh, so the things that they've really changed are their uh, accountability. And JJ, they've actually put an emphasis at the same time on instruction and on winning. They're focusing on winning. And the most interesting part of that conversation with Andy McKay about why they're focused on winning is that that is no longer the focus of so many of these players' amateur careers? And he said, and Andy coached at Sacramento City College. He was the head coach of that junior college that has produced a ton of big leaguers over the years. He uh, succeeded uh, Jerry Weinstein when Jerry went into pro ball, and uh, we both think highly of Jerry. Yes. And um, what Andy said is uh, he's seen it over his baseball career: is as showcases have prolifer- proliferated, players showcase more and play to win less and we have to teach players how to make winning baseball plays and that is emphasized in our organization so for him it's no surprise they're winning because they're emphasizing winning but he thinks that that is that goes hand-in-hand hand with development so for them it's taking I guess the difference would be I'm not gonna name organizations but there's some teams that you see load up on no knock on indie ball but they load up on indie players at short season levels or low A levels, to win at those levels. Or they'll just hold a, pro- a guy mm-hmm. who's not a prospect but is a good org player and have a uh, – what was the guy's name who the White Sox used to have? Uh, Cooley or Cordley? He was like 26 in the Carolina League a couple of years ago. He was a shortstop, first base – I forget his name, but he was uh, He's. – I'm blanking you, you on You blank on I forget. It. I'll, I'll find him. But it's not – they're not winning just with 26-year-olds in the Cal League or 27-year-olds in Double A. They're trying to win – with right. age-appropriate players at those levels, because it's important for them to win, and uh, so I think that the winning is coming first, and then the development will come for the for the Mariners. And and,
0: and speaking of that, uh, no, stay there. I'm sorry. Stay there. But so the flip side of that, which I feel for them now, it is the DSL. I mean, the Mariners have a bad farm system. <clears throat> Their overall winning percentage this year is 436. They the have Marlins
1: more. are probably a worst farm system in terms of talent.
0: Oh, yes. They're, the Marlins, I, I'd say the Marlins, the Angels, and maybe put the Diamondbacks in there.
1: Right. And the, the Mariners are in the conversation for the bottom five, but I don't think they're down there with Arizona, uh, the Angels, and, and the Marlins.
0: The DSL Marlins this year, and they've improved a little bit lately, but they're yeah, they,
1: they're on a win streak alone, They are. I believe. They are ten and fifty-four. How about how about Batavia though? The DSL is the DSL. I mean, it's really glorified in shrugs. Batavia is sixteen and forty four, Hoda Hoda. Sixteen and forty four. But, but brutal. And, and the your thing boy about Kevin is, Randall, their manager in Greensboro, he's he's working stinking miracles over there. He's over five hundred. How the I, heck's I, that I, going I, on? I told I I told him that this week. I Minor League Manager of the Year candidate <laughs> over there, Kevin Randall. But,
0: but uh, the thing about it is, is when you're 16 and 44, that harms development. Right. Because the reality of it is, is that we always talk about how baseball's a grind. Yeah. Baseball is a lot bigger grind because there is a certain ethos of how, for one, there's a certain ethos of how you have to act. Yeah. If you win the game, you can be loose. Yeah. You can have fun. You lose the game, even though there are the games every night. You come into the clubhouse after the game, and you know
1: you could be a little loose. But if you lose like four or five in a row, and you're still loosey goosey and still having a good time, somebody's somebody's stuff's going to get broken by a bat or thrown by a manager's and arm.
0: The reality of it is, is that if you're losing five out of six, followed by five out of six, I don't care how good your makeup, how much you love the game, it's a lot tougher. To say, okay, it's it's twelve thirty. I'm going to head to the ballpark to get in some extra work. It's tougher. You that doesn't mean you don't do it. Yeah. But it's tougher. And the same time, the flip side of it, if you are playing right now for Jackson in the Mariners system, where you're eighty one and forty four, I
1: think is the last time I checked. Yeah.
0: It's easy to get to the ballpark early. How about
1: it's a, fun to win? How about if you're the Brevard County Manatees? You're in an organization in the Brewers that has talent. This is a team that has talent, but it's the last year of that franchise in uh, Brevard County in Space Coast Stadium. Mm-hmm. And for whatever reason, things went sideways there. So how about if you're Corey Ray, their fifth overall pick in the draft this year, first rounder, just getting your start in pro ball, or you're Phil Bickford and you just got traded there from the Giants organization. You're on a team that's got a 296 winning percentage. That's 3-18 in August. <laughs> I mean, Corey Ray's hitting 250 with three home runs this month. He's, had a, he's doing some good things in his first month. But that's a brutal team right now.
0: Blake Alamon is like, I'm doing everything I can. Yeah,
1: Blake Alamon is the, uh, the real MVP. He's the KD. He's the Kevin Durant of this team. He's the real MVP. Um, this team is 3-18, and 18, and JJ, they're prospects here.
0: Right, but they're not just three. But good. they're not just three eighteen this month.
1: This can't right no, they're, they're twenty two ninety six he percent. I, I I scanned the whole minor leagues for point two. So who who's got an under three hundred win percentage? It's Batavia and Brevard County. Brevard County and yeah. is under three hundred. Oh, no, well that's a, the DSL didn't come up because it's point one. Right. I didn't yeah, search yeah. for point .1. The DSL Marlins
0: are point one five four, I believe. Which so, again, I I know it's the DSL.
1: What about, that is, what about
0: that is your, again, that is your introduction to pro ball? Is you are playing in a complex, like in a, in a league where there are literally, I, at this point, I, I do think at some point the DSL is going to have as many teams as the rest of minor league baseball. Yeah, it seriously. Just, it just keeps growing like an amoeba. But, you know, it's one thing if this was DSL Marlins 2, and it's like, yeah, I'm sorry, you know, because there's like, but the funny thing is, is I talked to someone who saw the Yankees GCL teams. There's Yankees East and Yankees West. And there's a lot of confusion because some rosters what's east is in others west, right? And vice versa, it's right. just Like I saw east, so who's on east? Well, Those guys that are like listed on the, but this is the only Marlins DSL team there is, right? So everyone in the Marlins DSL program is showing up every day and going, okay, well, you know, one fifty four beans. Just think of that. If you win a game in a week, you had a good week.
1: You had a good week. I, I feel for those guys at Brevard because it's a grind of a year and it's a long year, but I mean the, again the, the so let's do a couple of questions real but quick. The, yeah, the startling part to me is they have prospects. They have Bickford, they have Ray, they have Blake Alamonds, a good college player who's there. They have Cody Pont, they have Marcos Deeplon. They've got prospects. I kinda wanna as I start doing Florida State League top twenty calls, what the heck's going on in Brevard County? Um we got a few questions. Uh we've got uh Japers uh famed on Twitter, Japers four thirteen asking which perspective September call ups are we looking forward to the most? Um, I'm looking forward to Jose De Leon. I, I gotta imagine he's going to pitch some important innings for the Dodgers. Um, been writing about this guy since he was he keeps, number he three prospect in the SWAC yeah, as a freshman, the incoming
0: freshman. So he keeps dominating. And Bud Norris, I uh, had. Uh, it does feel like every time Bud Norris goes out right now, you're like, yeah. okay, there's a 50 percent chance he's going to be leaving the game with an injury. Not rooting against he's, Bud he, Norris. You know, just rooting
1: he's for fighting him. through it to his credit. I'm rooting for Jose De Leon to, to get to the big leagues for Roger Cador to. Get another big leaguer. Uh, always be great for Roger, um, but no, I do think
0: he's one.
1: um I who mean, else? mean Albies.
0: I, I expect that we're going to see in September, we will have the full middle infield for the Braves. We have Swanson already up now, but I figure like at some point in the not too distant future, now we'll have Albies up at second base to give him some time to acclimate at the big leagues before the new park next year as well. And, and he, I mean, again. If you're the Braves, that's the most exciting thing of the year is, is seeing that middle infield. Yep, field, yep. You know, no field doubt.
1: Um, I'd also throw in Hunter Renfro. Uh, I said this on uh, – I did a hit on the rundown on Friday on MLB Network. and Hunter Renfro, if he gets to the big leagues, he's going to get there. He'll be the fifth member of the 2013 Mississippi State Bulldogs to, to the big leagues. Uh, Jacob Lindgren's come and gone already Kendall now, Grave. as Tommy John. Kendall Graveman, Adam Frazier, and I'm leaving out somebody who's another uh, pitcher, I believe. He'll be the fifth guy, though. I I counted up the other day. Have That's to look impressive. it back up. Um, uh, but Adam Frazier's had last oh, year. Um, uh, Chris Stratton. No, he wasn't on that team. He was twenty twelve draft. Okay. <laughs> oh um, no, I said Lindgren. There's one other pitcher. I have to look it up now. Um, maybe it was four. <laughs> I can't think of the fifth one. Um, but I'm looking forward to Renfro, who I want him to get to the big leagues before he before he has more walks than strikeouts. I mean, uh, walks than uh, home runs. He's got more home runs than walks right now. I want to see if his, uh. Um, you may think that the Padres may be like, you know what? We wouldn't mind seeing the walks top the uh, home runs. It's, it's a little, uh, strange. Uh, more wins than walks for pitchers better than more home runs than walks for hitters. Um, are there other minor leaguers, September call-ups? I mean, the thing is, we've had a lot of these guys come up and JJ, I meant to also say we, we, we had minor league player of the year discussions recently and, uh, we'll not reveal, uh, who the minor league player of the year is yet. Not great in baseball year in America. It was a tough year in the minors. And the thing is, a couple of the players who were in very in the discussion, many of those players got called up before they really played the usual number of games. We want to see a minor league player of the well, year play, and a couple of them were trying to also debate like major league performance and how that affects their minor well, league player of the year example, case. David gave... Dahl and Alex Bregman were at the time we discussed it; but, they were opposite cases. Now Bregman's red hot. I mean, like I, small sample, I, I of that, but say, you were you were in the meeting saying. Come on, this is Alex Bregman. I know he started two for thirty six. He's been better since then, and now he's just tearing it up. But um,
0: but the big thing is, is like when you say September call ups. The funny thing is, is the guys I was most excited seeing. Andrew Bentendi's up. Right. Alex Bregman's up. Bridget right. Doll's up. Most DSB of these guys up. DSB Swanson's up. Most, Julio Urias has been up, down, up, down, up. You know, it, no it,
1: longer a prospect. He's past fifty right. innings.
0: You know, Ronaldo Lopez is up. Right. Lucas Giolito, again, well, that will be one. He night. might be up
1: next. Right. Um, oh, A.J.
0: Cole up now. But, yeah, there's – but, again, so they're, most of these guys, most of the guys that i kind of was coming into the year looking forward to seeing have, have already pitched. Yeah,
1: I look forward to seeing Matt Chapman uh, get up with the uh, athletics, 30 home runs in the, the minor leagues. Right here. Did not see the power, and he's done it for two years now in the minor leagues. This Did not the guy, see that coming. I this really the guy didn't.
0: we really were confident about the defense coming out. Right. But it's like, can he hit enough?
1: I do remember that one of the comps I got on him in, uh, coming out of college at Fullerton was that he was like a Matt Dominguez and hopefully a better version of a Matt Dominguez where it was a glove first and there was power, not confidence that he would hit for average. Uh, I hope he's better I mean, than but that. again, there, you were, know? there
0: were area scouts who were also like, why aren't you putting this guy on the mound?
1: Exactly. It was an easy 98-99. He was like Mike Lorenzen with more power you know, and in the dirt. And hey, Mike Lorenzen hit a pretty emotional home run, pretty great yeah. home run uh, the other day. So uh, good question there. Uh, Eric Cole asks, do you guys believe the Braves farm system has fallen out of the top five? I know there was a, uh, farm system ranking, uh, elsewhere on the web. I forget which one, which, uh, competing website it was that had the Braves like at number nine in their farm system rankings. JJ, um, it's tough because we haven't made all the phone calls and you know, want to research it, I think, a little bit more. Um, to make a definitive farm well, system li- ranking list,
0: and it's also tough from the standpoint of okay, is Danby Swanson going to graduate? Exactly. Danby Swanson graduates, that hurts their farm system ranking significantly because Danby Swanson they lose a top ten guy. And right. When I when you line up to me, there are three parts that you're looking at. One is like when you're talking, especially about top ten farm systems. One is who do you have in the top twenty five? Right. Because. There's a difference between a top 25 prospect. Who are your
1: potential elite big leaguers? Your potential impact big leaguers? The second part is is
0: how many guys do you have in the top 100 or in the 100 range? Like the Giants, to give an example, at the midseason, the Giants don't have top 25 guys. Right. But they had a lot of guys who were in that, and they've traded away a number of them now, but they had a lot of those guys who were in that, their top 100, to 150 type prospects. Okay, so they have depth. Yeah. And then the third part, and to me, the lesser part in many ways is, okay, and how's the rest of the system, the guys, you, when you do the prospect handbook with the BA grades, where's the 50 high line? For right. That? Where's right. the guys that everyone should have, you know, when you talk about we do the BA grades, everyone should have guys who are high risk, but have a chance to be regulars, useful, reg, solid regulars. The Braves are an organization that's going to have, like, a ton of 60 extremes. The Braves 50 high line is going to be probably beyond number 30 on the list. I mean, like, the reality of this is that they should have, they have guys, maybe I'm going a little strong on it, but they have guys, again, you have six pitchers on their Rome rotation, and I would say five of them are legit top 10 caliber in a system, top 10 caliber. Maybe process. six of them. <laughs> Ricardo Sanchez, I would say, is not a top ten okay. guy. Okay. You know, the Marlins, Angels, yeah. Okay, but yeah. most most systems, he's. I'm about to say
1: for his former organization. But
0: Colby Allard, Max Freed, Tuki Toussaint, Mike Soroka, Patrick Weigel, those guys are.
1: I mean, yeah. You know, I think Patrick Weigel, I love him. By the way, he got
0: he promoted. They just skipped him over high a, which we yeah. don't get to see him here. They went straight to Double A with him. But you which know, is I mean,
1: unfortunate for us. We were
0: hoping to see him in Zebulon. Right. But uh, but when you say like, okay, well, where are they? The knock against the Braves, and it's a legit knock, especially if Swanson graduates, is, is that, okay, so who are the upper level impact guys? Most of those guys, most of their impacts at the lower levels. That's not ideal.
1: I'm just trying to think, look at their double
0: A roster. Sean Nuke, I mean, they're, they're upper got level guys. Goal are Well, now Weigel, but again, he's been his he's been a low A guy this year. Right,
1: hard to say what kind of impact Lucas Sims is going to have. I still think there's some upside Road, there, but he's, a lot of
0: strikeouts, a lot of, lot of a loudness. lot of walks, and and he was terrible in AAA. He's been good in Double A. Right. Um, you have Sean
1: Newcomb, like you Sean said, Sean
0: Newcomb, but Sean Newcomb, the knock in Sean Newcomb, you at the end of the 2016 season, it's hard to say Sean Newcomb is significantly closer to being what we hope Sean Newcomb will be, than it was when it's, the season began. It's,
1: it's four walks per nine instead of five. So it's it's an improvement, but it's not the significant improvement that we were and hoping for. And this is for.
0: repeating a level, too. He was, well, to an extent. Yeah, yeah. He finished in double last year. He finished a in double A last year.
1: Um, AJ Minter. I think they think AJ Minter is an impact relief arm, right. and I think they're probably right about that. Um But, yeah, you're looking at the position it's players. Day, it's a. really a
0: Swanson and Albies are the guys at the upper levels. And then when you talk about... The, a lot of their impact
1: is guys with the lower. Dustin Peterson can hit. Dustin
0: Peterson is a guy he's who's had a really good year. He can. He's hit. helped
1: himself. He can hit. I think he's more major league regular than he is like major league impact guy. But he has a chance to be a regular on a good team.
0: Mm-hmm. And so what you say is what you're saying with that though is is that okay? I mean they're they're going to be a very tough organization to rank. I still think at this point, considering the overall talent in the minor leagues at this moment, when you throw in the gazillion dollars, Kevin Mytan. It's not on this list right now, but I mean, right. that's the guy, that's the rare guy who was signed out of international this year, and I expect to probably be a top 100 guy. Last guy we had to do that was Miguel Sano. From every write-up that Ben has ever written about my tongue, he is the guy who could be the next guy. Like, he's that guy who... That would made-
1: be interesting. I mean, he's probably a 60 extreme, mm-hmm. you know, and they're, they're usually a 60 extreme or two at the back of the... Top 100. I mean, so the guys, again, when you talk about comparisons for him, Sano
0: was that guy who everyone said, no, this is a consensus bat.
1: Right. This guy sounds like a little bit less power than the Sano, Miguel yeah, they, Cabrera, that he's, uh, yeah. phylum of player. But, I mean, like Miguel Cabrera, going way back, signed in 1999 for $1.9 million. Back when 1.9 was. He oh. was eagerly anticipated. 1.9 is still a lot of yeah. money internationally. Yeah. You know, um, Kevin Maiton was extremely anticipated. Or this year, similar to the way Miguel Cabrera and Miguel Sano were anticipated in those international classes. And other classes have been a top guy, like Fernando Martinez or Diolas Guerra that Guerra. But year. this was this this, this, is was different. Like, this
0: was like this is not this is the top guy of this year. This was a this, no, was this is every, one every of those, five or you don't six or ten, 10 years. Year.
1: Right, exactly. And you know, um and, at that same year as Sano was Gary Sanchez, he was a big deal. <laughs> took him seven years but, now he's he's getting it done to his credit and to the Yankees credit they were patient didn't give up on him uh kind of thought that they could have put him up last year in this situation but by the way like again, it's working out for them
0: the thing I do love with that is is that they the Yankees went young and the Yankees going young even though they traded away they they broke up an amazing bullpen and turned into a very good bullpen because again, if you got Dylan Betances, it's, it's still yeah. you're, you're you're fine. It's not like you go, oh, how do we get through the ninth?
1: Yeah, but they went
0: young and they're a better team for it.
1: Energy, uh, energy is such a significant t- part of Major League Baseball today. Energy,
0: one thing, and the reality is, is that look, I mean, we are now in a game where it is very hard to succeed in this game. In your late 30s.
1: How the hell did we go longer than an hour on this podcast? Yeah, I, I, don't I know knew, how John, if happened. I just got you in here, we would, you know. You did. Um, last but not least, uh, how would you guys rate the... Nick Coates asked, how would you rate the red system? Where do you think Nick Senzel will be in next year's top 100? I'll tell you, Nick Senzel has had a fantastic pro debut. Um, he's having the, what we now almost... I, I don't want to take these for granted,
0: but he's having the top college bat in the draft... Type debut where you go okay. I mean, he's a already-
1: 964 OPS in low class A, and he's doing it with a great 27 to 36 walk strikeout rate for a guy who Seven is straight out of college and, games. and 14 steals in 19 attempts. So he could be a shade more efficient, but he's probably pretty gassed right now. So I'm all in on Nick Senzel. I was, as I said on draft day, I think if I had the top pick in the draft and I had to pick one guy to have it to to take. I would have picked Nick Senzel from the standpoint of, I don't know how sky high the ceiling is. It's not like Chris Bryant. Right. Hey, Chris Bryant was a second pick, college third baseman. This guy ain't Chris Bryant. No. But I did think he was the best combination of very safe and there is upside here. I don't know what the upside is. I don't know that he's David Wright. I know I heard that from scouts. I don't That's know that the he's- the best
0: case, but like, would be, would, would- You know, I don't David wanna, Wright
1: with less power. I don't want to throw Ryan
0: Zimmerman on because he's not that good defensively, but at the same time, like, Ryan Zimmerman's what in Ryan's room is bat ended up being pre back injury.
1: Yeah. You know, I mean, like, a 20 homer, 40 double kind of guy, but this guy's got more speed. I mean, Nick Senzel's pretty damn good. I mean, he's thing, just a and, good player.
0: And the thing about it is, is that what we've seen now.
1: And we have a great feature on him, by the way, that mm-hmm. Vince Lara Sinasoma wrote mm-hmm. in the last week. If you haven't seen it, go to baseballamerica.com, put in tag after the slash, 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 slash t, tag. No, slash T. No, it's tag now. He is the old it, system. It's tagged. They now. just changed the oh, yeah. tag. No, that just happened like yeah. three months ago. Slash tag, slash Nick-Senzel. Okay, well, uh, yeah. I, I know you're supposed to write out tag. <laughs> I'll, I'll try it right now to make sure. <laughs> but um, that's how you get to Nick Senzel uh, and this feature story that uh, Vince Larson and Osomo did. But um, it's uh, the headline is Go Your Own Way. So it tells you how Nick Senzel, even back as a freshman and sophomore, was a little undersized but could really hit. And uh, that's a good but, he wasn't babied, and I don't think he was over recruited or um, over hyped. He's come into his stardom. Honestly, and I think he is. Gonna, I think he's got a good shot to be a big league star. He's it, definitely the Reds' number one prospect for me. Easy. And the,
0: the interesting thing with that also is, is that, and timetables now with these guys, we've yeah. Seen time, I, this is the story I, I want to do. Chance he could be
1: in the big leagues next year. Oh, I—I I, I,
0: I mean, I keep getting it retweeted. It was just a random tweet I threw out. It was like, "Look at this." I, I said mid. And I should have said late twenty seventeen Reds lineup. And the reality is, that I put Senzel, and it's like, "How Senzel going to be there?" And it's like, "Look at how what Bregman's ETA was. Look at what Swanson's ETA is. Look at what Benintendi's ETA is. Look at what Schwarber's ETA was. Look at what Conforto's ETA is." Right, was. Trey it's, Turner. Trey Turner. If you're the top college bats, especially, and again, if you're coming out of In Senzel's case, you're coming out of the SEC. You're coming out of the ACC. You're coming out of these these leagues where... Pac-12 for Conforto. Pac-12 for Conforto. You're coming out of the big conferences. These guys move nowadays partly because they sign earlier. Right. They don't... That first season doesn't end up being a waste. By the time it's over, Senzel's going to have 60 games this year. He will easily start next year in high A. And... If easily, you, easily, and if you told me that they bumped him up, you know, to end the year at high A, and he started the year double A next year, or he got a cup of coffee in high A next year, much like Alex Bregman did, much like Dansby Swanson did, that's the much like Andrew Benintendi did. Yeah, that's the timetable.
1: Yeah, the so- earlier signing deadline and the bonus pools that has been one of the biggest benefits of that. Oh, it's system. massive because you, you had up before, these timetables.
0: before everyone signed. On and by MLB's design, which yeah. drove me crazy, but by MLB's design you signed at twelve oh eleven fifty nine or twelve oh two if you're paying for twelve oh eight. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know. On August fifteenth, and so you would then show up and they'd say, Well, we're gonna get you six games before you go to instructs. Right. There's, Nick Senzel's going to have seventy games before instructs.
1: That would be an interesting like. Uh, i Interesting thought experiment actually is the guys who didn't wait in that period, because Chris Sale is the one who sticks out. Where Chris Sale signed quickly with the White Sox, I don't remember if it was below slot deal, but I know that it was. We're going to give you this bonus. And We're yeah. gonna speed you to the big league, so don't worry about the bonus. You're gonna get this money. You'll have big league money this year, right? And that was the 2010 draft, I believe. Was Chris Sale, and the thing is, that was also I think the second time that um, that uh, what's his name was drafted, Aaron Crow, Aaron Crow, who held out a year, Aaron Crow, who similar to um, uh, Chris Sale was top prospect in the Cape Cod League, at least for us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Chris Sale was the next year. For us, uh, not universal um, on those two rankings. But Chris Sale got to the big leagues awfully quickly from that uh, draft. And he actually has the highest WAR of the 2010 draft. That's including Bryce Harper and Manny Machado. That's a pretty good draft in the first round. Christian Yelich, Matt Harvey. There's some impact talent there. You guys, Manny Grandal's turned into one of the better two-way catchers in the major leagues. Um, Drew Pomerantz and and Noah Syndergaard in that draft. That turns into a pretty good draft, um, but Chris Sale signed like that, and he had development to make. He developed in the major leagues. Aaron Crow tried to develop that first year in indie ball. No fist indie no, ball. But it's, not, but it's not. the same as developing in the big leagues. So the that, flip
0: of it is, is that around that time also is Christian Colon, who signed quick, got. But he was overdraft. Right, but I'm saying, but like it's not, it's not a, it, but it, no, I agree completely that the reality of it is, is that getting signed early especially nowadays where everyone, most everyone does it, right. is a massive advantage. We probably do need to wrap this up because...
1: We have other things to do at Baseball America and BaseballAmerica.com. Uh, like I said, our next issue cover story actually uh, will be the Minor League Player of the Year. That's coming in a couple of weeks. But lots of content coming at BaseballAmerica.com. More about this uh, minor league realignment. Oh,
0: right now Summer League uh, Top 20s? Or, and mean, that's top this 10s week, yeah, around. if you
1: want to look ahead to the draft for 2017... Uh, obviously, we have all of our high school showcase coverage from the summer from hudson Bolinsky, And uh, my USA uh, college national team top 20 went up yesterday. Cape Cod top 30 just landed in my inbox to edit later this afternoon. So great time to subscribe at BaseballAmerica.com. For JJ Cooper, I'm John Manuel. We'll see you on the next PA Podcast. So long, everybody